to uh, welcome Scott Miller uh, to come and uh, share with us what God has laid on his heart this morning. Uh, he is a chaplain from Union Gospel Mission, and he's also here representing uh, the new maternity home, Hope Now, uh, or Hope Home, I should say. And uh, he's going to be sharing a little bit from both of his experiences. And so, Scott, we want to uh, wish you God's blessing as you share with us this morning. Please. Good morning. Let's say a prayer and ask God's blessing on our, <clears throat> on our time here. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us, you care for us, and you want to be our defender and our shield and our protector. And there's certain things that we need to do to ensure that. And uh, when we incorporate those into our lives on an individual, uh, community, and national level, then we can be guaranteed of your protection. So help us to uh, learn a little bit from your word this morning and apply this to our life. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. I'm speaking from Second uh, Chronicles 32. <clears throat> we talked, we read the scripture already here this morning, and uh, the two the two scriptures that I really want to key in on are verses seven and eight, which say, "Be strong and courageous." Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. How many find those words comforting? You can rest in the Lord when you're up against battles that uh, you may be having in your life. You can trust in God. Now, <clears throat> as I was studying this, I was thinking about it, and Hezekiah just didn't arrive at this place just by chance. It wasn't just a fluke that he could say, trust in the Lord, be courageous, and don't be dismayed, for with us is the Lord our God. He, he, didn't, uh, he didn't just say that just for something to say. There wasn't something that he had wasn't anything that he had not done that allowed him to say that. There's some things that he had done that could ensure that he could trust in the Lord. How many of you want to trust in the Lord this morning? Okay, got a couple of hands. Now, you're all here at church. I'm sure you're all trusting in God. This will probably be for a friend of yours or maybe for your neighbor. Okay, I, as I was looking through the scripture, I started to pick out some of the things that uh, <clears throat> Hezekiah did to ensure that he could have confidence when Sennacherib was surrounding his city and threatening to kill them. There was things that he had done to ensure that he could have confidence in God. And I'd just like to look at a few of those this morning and uh, then apply it to uh, us as individuals, apply it to us as, as a community, and then apply it to us as a nation. And how many know that trusting in the Lord isn't something that's just given to you? There's something you have to do in terms of you have to accept Christ into your life and you have to follow him. It just, we was mentioned this morning about children, men in a community. The children still need to be told, right? Right, okay. So let's look at some of the things that Hezekiah did. What did Hezekiah do that could ensure him and his heart that the Lord was going to be with them when they were surrounded by an enemy that wanted to destroy them all? And Sennacherib wasn't fooling either. He, he meant it. 
What did Hezekiah do to give him that confidence? Well, first of all, we read that Hezekiah, he followed a king who was, who was very evil. Ahaz was a wicked king. And things kind of were falling apart in Israel because of that. Because of Ahaz's disobedience to God and unwillingness to follow the Lord, things were going wrong. And that's, that's how it goes. So when Hezekiah became king, he decided to, to make things right. He wanted to straighten things out in the country so they could enjoy the blessing of the Lord and the protection of God. So it says uh, in verse 6 of chapter 29, he recognizes the problem. He said, Our fathers have trespassed and done that which is evil in the eyes of the Lord, our God, and I have forsaken him, and I have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. So he recognized that his previous generation had turned away from the Lord. And uh, there was consequences for that. Verse 8, Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon Judah and Jerusalem. We're in trouble because we've turned away from the Lord. That's what he's telling his people. We've turned away from God and there's consequences. The wrath of the Lord is upon us and he's delivered us over to trouble, to astonishment, to mocking, as you see with your eyes. So he say, this is what's happened. We've turned away from the Lord and now we're in a place where we're being... We're being mocked, we're being attacked, and we're in trouble. So he says in verse 10, It's in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, and is that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. He said, listen, I'm gonna, we're going to straighten things out here um, so we can have God's favor and not his wrath. Now, I, I work at Union Gospel Mission in Winnipeg. Uh, it's an inner city mission right in the heart of the inner city, and we deal with alcoholics, drug addicts, homeless people, people into crime, violence, people that are, are far from the Lord. That's who we deal with every day. We invite them into our building in the morning and feed 126 people, and in the evening about 80 people come in and, uh, and eat and fellowship with us. And the <clears throat> first thing they have to do when they come in is uh, sit in a chapel service. Because we believe it's more important to feed people uh, spiritually than to give them a meal. I mean, a meal is important. I understand that. But we want people to get right spiritually first. So we invite them in and they eat. And our intention is, we also have a men's residence there. Our intention there is to perhaps some will hear the gospel message in the chapel and say, you know what, I want to be rid of this life of crime. I want to walk in the favor of God. And so I'm going to come into your program and start changing my life. And, uh, and that's what we do. We try to pull in guys off the street, and we get some that they've just had enough. There's one fella in the, in the mission right now who, uh, he was a security guard at Crack House. Now, I don't even know if you guys know what that is here in Killarney or in a Mennonite church, but a Crack House is a very awful place. It's a place where you could go and use drugs, and uh, that's what happens there. And there's crime there, there's violence there, and it's a terrible place. This guy was a security guard in a crack house. That's what he did. And uh, he got tired of that life and came to the mission and wanted something new. So he's come into the program and found out that he actually had been a Christian for a while. He'd walked away from God, and the fierce wrath of the Lord was upon him. He had some experiences in that crack house that just made him think, I'm better off walking with God than, than uh, living in this crack house. So he's come into the program, and we're trying to walk him through this process of getting his life right with God. 
uh, following the process that um, Hezekiah is going to outline for us here. And the first thing that Hezekiah did was he began to remove the things from the temple that shouldn't be there. Uh, there's things that had been brought into the temple of God in Jerusalem uh, that were uh, represented false gods, that were from false religions, and he started getting those things taken out. And when we're dealing with guys at the mission, that's one of the things we do with them, is we say, okay, you've got to start letting go of some of the things that you've been doing. The drugs, the immorality, things that you've stolen, you've got to pay it back. You've got to start cleaning out your house and getting rid of those things if you want the favor of God upon you and not the wrath of God. Now, I understand and I know God is merciful and, and, and everything else, uh, but there comes a point, if we keep pushing it hard enough, that we're going to start butting heads with the Lord. And in his mercy, he'll start disciplining us. And uh, that's what happens to some of these guys. They just had enough. They come to the mission. They start cleaning house. So to follow the process of uh, Hezekiah, um, the first thing that he did was started removing stuff out of the temple that shouldn't be there. And in our own individual lives, we can think of that. You know, well, what are some of the things that are in my temple that shouldn't be there? You know, just be honest with ourselves. You know, some things that, you know, aren't, aren't quite right. Uh, I should probably, you know, get rid of that and not do this. And, you know, if we, if we want to have that, that peace in our hearts, that God's protection and his blessing is upon us, there's uh, some things that we may have to get rid of. And how do we know God's merciful and forgives? Is this a Pentecostal church? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> Bear with me. Okay. <clears throat> Anyway, so that's the first thing he did. He started getting rid of the stuff that shouldn't be there. And then he started returning some of the stuff that should be there. I mean, as Christians, Mennonites, any kind of Christian, you know, we know the things that we should be doing. We know the things we're not supposed to do, uh, generally speaking. That's one advantage of being a Christian. For those of you who've been brought up in a Christian home, I found that a Teen Challenge. The ones that were brought up in Christians' homes and ended up in Teen Challenge. You don't go to Teen Challenge because you've been a, a good little boy. You end up there because you've been doing the wrong thing. But the guys that ended up there that had been, had been a Christian, they knew. They knew where they had gone wrong. They knew they had backslid. They knew they had stopped following the Lord, and that's why they were in the trouble that they were. So they knew they had to get right with God and deal with the things that they had run, done wrong. And they also... Once you get rid of the things you're not supposed to be doing, then we add the things that we should be doing. And they knew that too. I could ask you, but there's reading your Bible, praying, attending worship services, uh, the obvious uh, Christian things that we're supposed to be doing. So you get rid of the bad, and, the, and you bring in the good. Now this seems pretty simple, I guess, for people who are at church on a Sunday morning and, and know the Lord already, but, you know... When you're dealing with the people I deal with, some of them know that and some of them don't. You say, how do, you have, how do I know this is going to work? You know, I've never followed God. The only, we deal with First Nations people often. The only God I've been exposed to is the people that ran the residential school. They weren't very nice to me at all. And they were Christians. How, why should I trust in you? And that's tough to break through. And really, you know, you've you got to trust in the Lord. That's what you've got to do in, in a case like that. And, uh, yeah, and apologize for the treatment that some people have received at the hands of, of Christians. None of us are perfect. So you take away the bad, 
and you put in the good. But how many, how many of you know there's, there, there's some things that, you know, you can straighten out some things. Like if you stole some money, I dealt with a guy when I was at Teen Challenge. I mean, Union Gospel Mission now, they're very similar programs. But when I was at Teen Challenge, I dealt with a fellow who had stolen some money from this guy he worked with at Portage Place. And so we, he was trying to get his life back on track and deal with the things that he had done wrong. So we went there. And I sat in the corner just to watch him and make sure nothing went wrong. And he went and paid this guy back. He made it right. And there's some things that you can make right. How many of you know there's some things that you can't? Some things are final. I mean, and if you're left with only, your only hope is to make it right and you can't, you know, you can be lost. Well, in verse 23 of chapter 29, 23 and 24, there's a little bit of hope there. So I think we're responsible to to make things right that we have done wrong, start doing the things that we're not supposed to, that we were supposed to be doing, we haven't been doing. But there's some things we can't fix. 24, verse 24, the priest killed, verse 23, they brought forth the he-goats for the sin offering before the king and the congregation, and laid their hands upon them. And the priests killed them, and made reconciliation with their blood upon the altar to make an atonement for all of Israel. There's some, time, there's some things that you, you can't fix. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. How many are glad that Jesus died on the cross? Praise the Lord. Wow, you guys are getting in the spirit here. Don't get carried away there, brother. It's just... uh, <clears throat> there's some things that Jesus... Only Jesus, I mean, I know it's only him anyway, but ultimately there's some things that we can't fix. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And that's another thing. If you're trying to get back on track, or do you know somebody that needs to get back on track, they've got to stop doing what they're doing that's wrong. Start doing the good and recognize that Jesus has forgiven you for the things that you've done that are wrong. And not only does he take away our guilt, he takes away our shame. That goes even deeper. He took our shame. Jesus was shamed. The way that some of us deserve to be shamed, we've done shameful things and we feel that we would be shamed and sometimes we are for the things that we've done. But Jesus has taken that, before God at least. Maybe not before people. People can still shame us for our sinful past. God never does because Jesus took our shame. How many can say amen to that? Amen. Amen. That's good news. That's a message right there in itself. You can pack it up and go down for the potluck. No. So there's, there's three steps of getting on the right track. And these are some of the things we do at Union Gospel Mission with, with the men that we deal with there that come in off the street. Stop doing those things that you're not supposed to be doing. Start doing the good. Recognize that Jesus has forgiven you. Well, what else did he do? What else did Hezekiah do with the people that could give them the assurance that the hand of God was with them. How many of you want the assurance that the hand of God is with you? Some of us, we, have, we may not have a Sennacherib knocking at our door, causing trouble, but we have, we have other enemies, poverty, or loneliness, or hurt, or shame, or different things knocking at our door, wanting to take over. We want to know how to get things right with God so we can stand against those enemies in the name of Jesus and not be overcome by them.
Well, what else did he do? Hezekiah They started praising and worshiping the Lord. That's another thing. They started worshiping God for his forgiveness and for his love. There's one more thing here, and it's it's slipping my mind. Oh, yeah. He got the people to bring in offerings. The people started bringing in offerings, tithes and offerings to the temple. And they brought in lots. They brought in lots. The Bible says that they had so much that they had to start building storehouses for all the blessings that were being brought into the house of God. And my thinking is that this Sennacherib saw this. These people are getting blessed. They got lots of prosperity in cattle. Their fields are producing good crops. Wine and corn, it said they were increasing like crazy because God was blessing them because they were honoring him. And Sennacherib saw that and he said, I want some of that. So he lined up just to take it by force because he saw that the people were being blessed. He wasn't willing to follow the Lord like they were and get the same blessing. So there's all those things that Hezekiah encouraged the people to do. And it brought God's blessing on them and brought an assurance in their heart that God was going to protect them and be before them. In chapter 30, it says that Hezekiah then sent out letters to all of Israel inviting them to come in. Come and join the blessing. Come and partake in what we're experiencing here. We're experiencing the blessing of God. I was talking about earlier about sharing with uh, our children, our neighbors, about the blessing of the Lord. And that's what uh, Hezekiah did. He sent out letters to the people around him, to the people in, his, in the Israel, Israelite nation. In verse 10, So the post passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim, Manasseh, and even Zebulun. You think the people say, Yeah, I want, I want part of that blessing too. But how do you know it doesn't always work that way? It says here, They laughed them to scorn and mocked them. People are invited, Come, come join our, our blessing. Come and walk with the Lord and be blessed like we are. And people laughed and mocked. How many of you ever experienced that? You go and tell people what the Lord and they laugh at you or mock you. Nobody. Well, praise God. I've experienced that. I had a guy punch me right in the head one time. You ever had that happen to you? Oh, witnessing? Where's the pastor? You ever, ever have that happen to you? Don't put your hand up. And I, right, right on Main Street. Knocked me right in the ground. He wasn't ready for the Lord. So he sent out letters, but in verse 11 it says, Nevertheless, diverse of Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun, they humbled themselves and they came to Jerusalem. Some people did respond. So you're going to get the negative sometimes, but there's always those that are ready. God has prepared their hearts and they came. In verse 12, also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the Lord. The hand of God moves on some people. This was like a missions weekend and Part of, part of effective missions is prayer. We get ourselves in the right place with God, then prayer. The hand of God moved on some people and, and, and moved them to, yes, we want to be part of this. And uh, we pray at the mission. There's all kinds of prayer going on. Uh, for one thing, you never know who's going to walk in that building, so you want to make sure 
you got the hand of God on, on you to protect you. And we pray that people's hearts would be open. I mean, uh, we deliver food hampers. I remember delivering hampers to this one man, and, you know, you know, I always stuck a little Bible track in there, you know, without telling them. And remember one man said to me, you know, I really like your food hampers, but the part I like the most is those Bible tracts that you put in there. You never know where people are at. You just assume, oh, they just, they just want the food. They don't care. But there's some people that tell me, too, you know, I come here. I don't even come for the meal. I come for the chapel service. I'm stuck in this area. I can't get out of here. I got a low income. I can't work. This is the best place I can live, and it's, I'm surrounded by criminals and crime. But at least there's a mission here. I can come here and hear the word of God and have a little bit of safety for about an hour. So that's why Hezekiah could say what he did. Be strong and courageous. Do not be dismayed. With him is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and fight our battle. You know, we may think that's a nice little, cute little Sunday school story, and, you know, we're immune from that today. But are we? Are we? I was reading an article on the Internet, and it says ISIS taunting the Western world. And it was an article on, you know, the beheadings that they'd done overseas and taunting the West. Uh, And then it gets worse. You know, people... I was in Orlando for a conference, CareNet conference. And... uh, we missed our flight coming home, so I, we had to stay the night in Orlando. And next morning I got back to Winnipeg, and the front page of the paper said, Horror in Orlando. And there was a person representing ISIS in Orlando who was shot and killed about 50 people. Anybody hear about that in the news? It's on the news. We were 20 minutes from that place. I said, Lord. You know, okay, not only is it only happening over there, it's happening here. And you think, well, you're getting melodramatic. Well, is it happening or not? The newspaper I read says it's happening. So, well, what are we going to do? Be not afraid. The Lord our God is there to help us and to fight our battles. Is he? <laughs> can we say that with assurance? Are we living in such a holy, righteous nation that we can trust in the Lord and well, you say, well, I am. I don't know about the rest of the world, but we are. Right here in Clarny Mennonite Church, we're living for the Lord. But how many know that the rest of the culture might cause you a problem? You think, well, how does this apply? Well, let me, let me just do something here. I look at the king who was the king over before Hezekiah, Ahaz. Ahaz was not a good king. He was an evil king. So Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. He did that. He did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. So, you know, we can clean this up a little bit. We can, uh, you know, get the temple back on track for worship, you know, uh, resume temple sacrifices and ask for forgiveness. Um, but there may be some other things to correct. What are some of the things he did? He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Also made molten images for Balaam. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, 
burnt his children in the fire. Burnt his children in the fire. Well, none of us would ever do that. Wrath of God would never come on us for that. <clears throat> what about the rest of the country? 90,000 children a year in Canada are aborted. So you don't talk about that in church. Don't get political. We're talking about God's creation. And what are we doing about it? Well, we don't do that here. Okay, fair enough. So what do you want us to What are you saying? You want us to come up and start you know, parading up and down Main Street Clarney with our signs? No, I'm not saying that. I have done that. I've stood out in front of the Health Sciences Center with signs praying for people, which some people took great offense to, actually. I had one lady come up to me. She was mad. Oh, boy. And so was her husband. And uh, she said to me, well, okay. And I wasn't telling women not to have abortions. I said, we're praying for you that God will touch your heart and help you. And she said, well, what are you doing for the woman who's pregnant? you just telling her to, not to have an abortion? I'm sure that's really helpful. You know, sometimes, oh, I could say your enemy, but sometimes people that disagree with you can have a little bit of truth in their comments. And I thought about it, and I said, you know, that's a good point. What am I doing? So the Lord started putting me on this track of, you know what, yes, yeah, one thing to say, don't do this, don't do this, but it's another thing to say, here, how can we help you? How can we make the situation such that you don't feel that that's your only option? So we started a maternity home, 30 minutes from here, Hope Now, maternity home. For women who find themselves in a vulnerable place, not everybody goes up in a vulnerable or invulnerable environment. Some people grow up in terrible environments and are faced with heart-wrenching decisions that none of us may ever have to face. So what am I saying? I'm saying our country kills 90,000 babies a year. I don't think that pleases the Lord. I really don't. Ten a day in Winnipeg. I don't think that pleases the Lord. Catholics are out there doing, they're doing their thing. Protest, Protestants, <clears throat> my impression is, kind of like, well, if we just ignore it, it'll go away. The Lord gave me a scripture one time. It said, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that is what he will also reap. And if the country as a whole is allowing it, legalizing it, and doing it, and we're doing absolutely nothing about it, don't be deceived. So what can we do? Well, you can support our maternity home. Am I asking for your money? Not really. Maybe your prayer. Maybe your time. Or maybe bake some cookies. For some ladies there, come down and have a Bible study with the young woman that's there that just needs a little bit of encouragement, that doesn't have a family, and help her to move in the direction of being able to look after her baby. That's non-confrontive. You don't have to go down like I did the 40 Days for Life and take a bunch of flack from, from people who think we're just mean-spirited and everything else. You don't have to do that. You can just say, okay, we're doing something. We're helping this one home or another home, helping vulnerable women who need a little bit of encouragement and support to help them bring their baby into the world and not be deceived by people who would tell them there's an easier way. I don't think that's a good idea. 
Need me? See a few hands. I think it's a good idea. It makes a difference. Now, I got my friend here who's going to tell you a little story, a little testimony about a difference that a maternity home can make. I'm going to ask her to come up here. This is Robin. Do you guys clap in a Mennonite church? Okay. Robin's just going to share a little testimony of, of the difference that a maternity home made for her. And just, just hear the kind of impact you can have by supporting a maternity home. Good morning. My name is Robin. And thank you for letting me tell a bit of my testimony. I'm just going to give you a brief, a little glimpse of my testimony. Um, when I was 15 years old, I was at a bus stop and a, a van pulled up and two guys j- jumped out of the van and pulled me into the van where there was five other guys waiting. They took me out of town and they raped me. And three months later, I found out I was pregnant. When I told my parents, my parents wanted me to have an abortion. I thought about it and I refused. And when I refused, my parents kicked me out of the house. And I was living in a cardboard box in downtown Calgary. And when I was, one day this lady came up to me and noticed that I was pregnant, and she asked me if I was pregnant, and I said yes, and she took me to a place called Birthright. When I got into Birthright, they got me into this temporary foster home for a couple days, and then they got me into a maternity home. Well, when I was in the maternity home, I got my first job. They taught me how to cook, and they taught me how to clean. They taught me how to organize. Um, they helped me find my first apartment. When I, first, when I got into the apartment, they helped me get set up so I could get ready for my baby. They were a real support for me. All the tools that I've learned in that maternity home, I still carry with me to this day. And what is so awesome is now, 40-some years later, my husband and I are being so blessed that we are being able to be the house parents for this maternity home and pass it forward to other young girls who were in my shoes when I was 15 years old. We are going to be teaching these young girls how to cook, how to clean, how to organize, how to do their finances. We are going to teach them about Jesus Christ and who their identity is is in Jesus Christ. We're going to be teaching them about... We're going to be teaching on some of... Uh, challenge, and we're going to be doing moral revolution. We're going to be teaching them what, who, how God created sexuality, not the way the world has perceived it. We just want to sow love into these girls. We want to show these girls what family is all about, because a lot of us come from dysfunctional families. I came from an extremely dysfunctional family, and to be able to be brought into some place where we can just love on these girls, and where they can know that it's not, they don't have to perform. It's about, they're, they're going to know what Jesus, how what Jesus thinks they are. They are a daughter of Christ. They are a clean and spotless bride, that they can be forgiven, that they don't have to walk around with this shame, with this guilt, with this label on their head that society places on them. We just want to give them love. We want to give them a good start. We want to give them tools to get out on their own. And it's just such an amazing thing how God can take somebody from living on the streets, put them 
into an, a maternity home, and 40 years later, how God works that he blesses you and it passes it forward. And what, how God works is so amazing because now, 40 years later, that son that my parents wanted me to abort is now looking after my 80-year-old mother. He's living with her and caring for her. So it is amazing how God works. And, but we just need to be able to give somebody an opportunity, get, reach out and give them a loving hand. I don't know what I would have done if that lady wouldn't have come and reached out and, and stepped out of her comfort zone and said, come on, let's go and, and help me out. I don't know what I would have done. And I don't know what I would have turned out to be if it wouldn't have been for that lady. So uh, we just really encourage, we would love you to come and support, come and love on the girls. If you have something that you can teach them, come and teach them. If you would like to come, if you've got things that you would like to donate, we need food, we need gas. We, we want to further their education. We want to help them get back into schooling. And, and we just want to, so they can get out and get the tools. And we want to mentor them. We just want to mentor them as a mom and dad. And I just want to thank you for allowing me to share this with you. And we just thank you for all the support that you have given so far. Thank you. So there's nothing like ensuring <clears throat> yourself before God that you're, you're with them. And sometimes it takes reaching out and uh, giving to those in need, and particularly those who are vulnerable and, and need help to perhaps at least gain God's blessing yourself, for nothing for maybe you've done wrong, but maybe for what somebody else has done wrong. I think of Job. You know, Job would go in and, and, and make sacrifices to the Lord just perchance his kids had done something wrong. He hadn't done anything wrong. He was an upright man, but just perchance his kids had done something wrong. He made sacrifices to God to make sure things were right. And we know that in our culture, people have done wrong. And it's, yes, I know Jesus has forgiven us and forgiven them, but it's another thing to take a step to, to do the right, to offset perhaps the disfavor of God and bring his favor upon us by simply... You know, baking a dozen cookies, maybe for the maternity home, are, are doing something. I'm just going to pray. Thank you, Lord, for these wonderful people here, Mennonite people, beautiful people. They know Jesus. They're so blessed to know the Lord. And I pray that you'd use them, Lord, to touch the lives of those who maybe have fallen away, those who don't know you at all, and have found themselves in a, a position where they, they could do something that could dig themselves even into a deeper hole. So I pray that you would touch people's hearts today to, to step in on behalf of those that are being taken off to slaughter, those that uh, are vulnerable and could end up in that situation. And they would say to themselves, I know this is happening, and I can't pretend that I don't, and now I've got an avenue, a means by which I can do something about it. Whatever, in whatever way, if it's simply a prayer, God help those girls at that place. Lord, I pray you would touch hearts today, move them to help others, and in so doing, ensuring more of the blessing of God, more of the favor of God than they have already. They have the blessing of God on themselves and their community. Help them to reach out so they can ensure the blessing of God on their nation. And they can be like Josiah, who found the book of the law and realized, man, we've fallen so short, and God spared him, at least, even though his wrath still came. So, Lord, I pray your blessing on the people here. Open their hearts to touch the lives of those who need it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen.
Pastor, I'll turn it over to you.